The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. discussion. Our program continues in the series on Genesis. Have with me today John Call, Master of Divinity. John, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. We completed last week Genesis 9, I believe, and we're, so we're moving on healthily into Genesis 10 today. Would you like to give our <laughs> audience the usual rundown or overview of where we left off with chapter chapter 9? Sure, and I think I did we did finish it, right? I hope we did. I believe <laughs> it's we did. for chapter 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm actually hoping that we get to chapter uh, 50 one of these days. We will. We will. No. <laughs> well, uh, you know, um, and uh, here, here's – we're in a section. We're towards the – when we get to chapter 11, we're going to finish off the first part mm-hmm. of Genesis. It's the, the first major division of the book, Genesis 1 through 11. And so far we've covered – uh, we've covered a lot of history um, within those small chapters so far. And then when we get to chapter 12, then we'll really focus on, on the life of Abraham and the patriarchs. But um, chapter 9, uh, what we saw last time was uh, Noah and, and uh, the um, after the flood and the way the life became after the flood. And um, the, Noah... Uh, becoming drunk and, and sinning, and his sons, um, two of them were respectful uh, to his dad. One of them, uh, Ham, was not. And so uh, Noah looks into the future, so to speak, and pronounces or um, requests certain blessings and curses. And so uh, he sees what's going to become of uh, certain children of, of Ham, namely the Canaanites, uh, and then the blessings that will follow on Shem and Japheth. Now, the Shem, the Shemites will give rise to the eventually to the Hebrew nation and to the Jewish people. Uh, the Japhethites will give rise to um, perhaps the Gentiles, and we'll talk more about that in chapter 10, because that's it. Gets chapter 10 actually gets to the question of what happens to these sons? What becomes of these three uh, main divisions of people? And chapter 10 will, uh, will answer those questions, and uh, we'll begin to see... Uh, what happens and how uh, when you get to chapter 10 it's like you step on to the Audubon and you go very very fast throughout history until you get to at the end of chapter 11 Abram and then you slow way down to uh, to go really slow so uh, we're going to cover a lot of names in chapter 10 a lot of people we might not know but these names are going to be familiar to the Israelites and they're going to be familiar to uh, people in the Old Testament and also New Testament and they're going to have some sort of influence in some way, on Israel. So perhaps one of the reasons why they're included 
and uh, we'll look at there. Is can you look at chapter ten as you did chapter five in so much that it's it's very much a chronological set of events? It's <clears throat> chapter five is more more of a vertical genealogy. A chapter uh, which it gives you the person and how they were when they had a son and so on and so forth. Uh, chapter 11 isn't as much that. It's more groupings of people. It doesn't tell you when they came about, it, but it, what it is, it's more, it's more horizontal. So we, can, we find out who, what people groups belong with other people groups, and that will uh, help us to understand um, the various people groups of, of the world. And, 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 uh, so it's, it's not the same kind of genealogy that Chapter 5 was. Would you like to start this chapter off? John, uh, I don't know uh, how we should segment this. Uh, do you want to look at this uh, four or five verses at a time? Yeah, well, well, I think what the best way to do is, is if you look at chapter 10, um, chapter 10 of Genesis and chapter 11 of Genesis actually in, go together. Okay, Chapter 10 tells us, um, introduces us, us to, to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's going to give us first what happens to the descendants of Japheth first. Uh, not, not a lot of verses are devoted to him because uh, perhaps the fact that he moves f- further away. And then we're going to find out the descendants of Ham and Canaan. And then we're going to find out about Shem. When we get to the end of chapter 10, we're going to follow Shem through one of the, the, one of, uh, one of the sons, one of the lines. And then in chapter 11, we are interrupted by the Tower of Babel. And then after the Tower of Babel, we complete the line of Shem, finishing up with Abram. So they go together, but probably the best way to do it is to go in sections. So let's, we'll talk about the sons or descendants of Japheth first, because um, most European people are just descendants of Japheth, or Americans too. Would this Genesis 10 is titled Descendants of Noah. Would Genesis 10, in a story structure or a a narrative form, indicate the demise of Noah in that narrative now? Are we now pushing him into the background? Well, I think, I I don't know if it's the demise of Noah, other than his character has completed his task. He is passing on. You know, so so to speak, uh, this is uh, he is he is blessed. His his in fact, uh, God blessed Noah and his sons in chapter nine, verse one. And so we're going to see how that blessing came about. And so it's it's where he's fading in the background, but we still he's still uh, the source of all this <laughs> is through Noah. So he's not uh, uh, he's just he his character is done with. And <laughs> is is Noah? because of what happened in the prior chapter tainted now you know the should it, we should we assume that he's rather tainted by the 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 occurrence in the tent well the bible here's that's that's a good question here the bible is it's very honest about its its the people and about its characters okay you have so far you have uh, up until that char- section in chapter 9, Noah has been righteous, he's been blameless, he's walked with God, he's done everything God tells him, to, tells him to do. And when he does sin, or when he does become drunk, the Bible doesn't emphasize that aspect. It reports it, 
but it doesn't give commentary as far as, oh boy, Noah really fell off the wagon here and you know had a bad whatever time. But the focus is really more on the on the Suns and their reaction to when he's down, like when he's down and out, when he is in a vulnerable position. So the Bible's emphasis is not so much that Noah sinned. I think the fact is that even the righteous sin, even those who are who are close to God, are still have a tendency of sinning. And I think that's one of the points here in the scripture was that even though the flood wiped out the rest of mankind and, and cleaned the, the, first of the surface of the earth, man's heart, even in Noah himself, still needed redeeming and still needed uh, a work of God. And so that was perhaps the point. It doesn't leave us on the note that, uh, that, that, uh, that Noah ended his life through this account, or through this, uh, this, uh, this sin here. The, the narrative discourse, however is setting up a pattern, is it not? We already know that because of that occurrence with Noah that it's now going to affect the future generations just as the same occurs with Abraham. Right, and that's a good, that's a good point, is that Noah, you know, if, if, the, if the Bible had recorded, if, if, if it had recorded Noah's life and you didn't see him sinning at all, then you'd be like, boy, this guy's perfect. I wonder if any of his children will become perfect. Well, it, it, it answers that question very quickly and says, no, uh, even Noah himself. And, uh, and of course, Abraham will also um, will be susceptible to sinning. And, and here, one of the points is, is, as I look at that chapter, and I think Noah is 600 years old, maybe 601. Uh, you would think, I'm thinking, oh, maybe by the time you get 600 years old, uh, you fi- you'd have it figured out how to conquer sin. And this, <laughs> he can, no, he hasn't done that, you know, and, and how to conquer temptation. Uh, that tells me something. That tells me that man on his own can't do it alone. Can't uh, that uh, we are all, even David, the great uh, uh, man of God who who wrote many psalms, who was who was uh, who had faith in God stronger, you know, than most people. Even he had tremendous uh, sin that he committed. Um, and uh, the point of the story is that uh, even those people, the rest of us, need God's help as well. And so, yeah, there's a pattern that sets up. Uh, up until the time of Christ. So this is where God has to make the decision that we have to have shorter lifespans. That, um, you know, that's a good uh, question. We don't know if it was because of that, perhaps because if, if uh, I imagine that's probably part of it. The Bible doesn't really comment as far as to, as to why lifespans began to decrease other than maybe to show the fact that the, the effects of sin are growing more and more uh, pervasive in mankind. Uh, this is also beginning when we get through chapter 10 and 11 to show um, man has had 11 chapters to do it his way, or basically from chapter 3 on, and has not worked. And beginning with chapter 12, God begins his plan, and we'll see a great contrast between the two. Before we look at these verses and I rather think that we may be able to look at them uh, in a summarized fashion uh, in in part could we just return contextually to where we are today you know that as I said this narrative is certainly setting up that premise that that whatever a a character, whether it's Noah or Abraham or anybody else in the Bible does, it always has that knock-on effect on future generations. Today, 
it appears that that is even more so the case that in this world that we live today that is no doubt significantly and severely changing we and what we do and how we live our lives are ever more affecting our children's lives and and it does look as if that's to a a, a negative outcome and on the one hand and you, you're exactly right and going back to Noah with with his with his um his actions that affected his children's actions. Um, he, of course, uh, maybe set a bad example for for Ham. Who knows? The other two uh, had, uh, you know, had a, a more righteous heart about them. But getting into chapter ten, you do have you have the tendencies that you see here in chapter ten and eleven that are going to be. Um, very uh, evident to today, today as far as the actions. For example, when we get to chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel and the desire of man to make a name for himself and to become great and to become one, uh, you see that in, in today, in today's society. So it's almost, we're going to read these names and we're, as I explain who they are and, and, re, and re, you know, kind of instruct on uh, the people groups, you're going to recognize who they are and recognize that um, uh, from uh, a standpoint from here in modern man, we're going to see that their actions are no, no different than actions of man today, and the uh, the heart of man has not changed. So we'll we'll see that. But um, uh. well, for our audience, um, maybe I'll just go quickly review. My interest really is in verse five, but uh, I'll just read it down if if I get the pronunciation of these names right. Okay. Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshesh and Tirah. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenesh and Ripath and Togomar. The sons of Javan were Elisha and Tashish, Kitim and Dodanim. That I may have that one wrong. I'm <laughs> sure there's there's many yeah. different uh, uh, pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. So we we now here. This is very much a chronological statement. It, it's a, a definition, I suppose, of as you say, rather than in a linear fashion, in a horizontal right. fashion. But and I'll finish here at verse five. From these, the coastlines of the nations were separated in their lands. Everyone according to his language according to their families into their nations and i'll let you run with it the only thing that i would like to highlight is the, the everyone according to his language maybe you you will be able to expand upon that i ask good questions <laughs> that's a good I? it's a good question I'll, I'll answer that right off the bat chapter 10 chronologically happens after chapter 11 the two chapters chronologically are switched because so, uh one is uh because of the events in chapter 11 will contrast, you'll have the, in chapter 11, which is the cause of the languages, the Tower of Babel, the events that happen there, um, will begin to contrast uh, sort of man's way of doing things versus God's way of doing things. So it's theological and thematic way of, of putting them together. So uh, chapter 11 begins, or chapter 10 already has them divided in their languages. 
chapter 11 to go on to explain how that, that, that occurred. So it's not chronologically uh, put together. It's more thematic and theologically put together. Th- that reversal, uh, that con- contextual reversal, is, is that something that we see in other books of the Bible? Yeah. Oh, good night. Yeah, yeah. Cert- certainly in, in the, the Torah, uh, maybe not in the, the New Testament, but perhaps from my understanding of, of the entire Old Testament, I, I have noted that there are books where that is that applies yeah there i mean there are some of the prophets that are are not uh in sequential uh chronological order i i I think jeremiah is one of them i'm I'm, you you asked me uh, (laughs) a good question i'm trying to think at the top of my head what what are some other ones but um shall i shall i just uh put an application (laughs) in at the theological no 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 And there's, there's, I know there's others. I just can't. Uh, my mind is right here in Genesis, and but uh, there are other books that are um, that are they're they're uh, put together more thematically uh, rather than strict chronological order. Um, even some of the Gospels are like that. Um, I, I believe John may be one of them, and uh, Luke uh, uh, is one that tries to put one in sequential order. He even states that in the beginning of his book. Uh, perhaps Matthew. Uh, put some some thematic uh, themes together as well, uh, and so it depends on the purpose. On um, you remember the the writer here in Genesis has a he doesn't want to tell us about all of history. He has a theological purpose in telling us these things. So he is constructing and laying these things out. In fact, look at the order in verse ten. You have Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but he reverses the order in how he's going to tell us about these people. He starts with she- uh, Japheth and then Ham and then Shem. Why? Because he wants to end with the story of Abraham, he wants to lead us into the story of Abraham. He wants to, he wants to take us through uh, all the events of, of mankind and man's attempts to to be great versus God's how God's plan works, and uh, that's what he does. So it's not uncommon, and uh, so yeah. So, but with verse five, yeah, it it, it uh, explains that. But uh, with verse two, with Japheth, he focuses on. Two of his sons, Gomer and, and Javan. Now, Japheth is going to give rise to the Indo-European peoples. Okay, in fact, um, the languages of Europe and India, uh, as far as I understand, they 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 have studied this and determined that they come from one language. And uh, many of the people groups, like the Greeks and people uh, from Persia and India, trace their lineage back to uh, Japheth, actually, and they they call him various names that are re- related, but chasing back to Japheth. Uh, so you have this, this the Indo-European peoples, of which you and I are, are, part, of that, are part of that, come from Japheth. Uh, you have certain ones that are mentioned, Gomer, Magog, and Tubal, and Meshach. Th- those are ones that are going to be mentioned later on in Scripture in Ezekiel 38. In the future times, there's going to come a, a battle that is going to involve those nations. And so this is going to be pertinent to Israel's history in the future, uh, Gomer is uh, an area north of the Black Sea, perhaps southern Russia or Ukraine. Um, uh, Magog is also, um, they think, is is either in Russia or even um, uh, near the Caspian Sea or even Georgia. Um, Medai, he is uh, the father, perhaps, of the Medes. Javan is the father of the Greek people. Uh, so if you're Greek, you're, you're a relative of, of Javan. And uh, Tubal is also one who uh, uh, was from lower, uh, by the Caspian Sea, uh, the lower uh, Russian area. 
Uh, Mishas is one that uh, some think it, it goes as north north to um, to northern Russia, maybe near Moscow. Uh, and then Tiras, Tiras uh, is perhaps uh, an area near uh, Greece in Bulgaria. But uh, these are just some some of the names. So there's not a lot given to us about them. So because they're not going to be as involved in the immediate history of Israel, it's going to focus more on the sons of Ham and the sons of Shep, which are going to affect Israel greatly. Would it, could these names be applied to, in later centuries, the the uh, evolvement of the Eastern and, and Western religious vehicles? That, perhaps, the, the, the start of the different religions is going to start at the Tower of Babel. That is where the that is really where the pagan religions began, had their beginnings. So that they will, because this happens after chapter eleven, even though it's later before, they were going to take uh, the people that are that were there are going to take their ideas perhaps and spread them out. And uh, um, so the beginnings will be in, in Babylon, in Babylon uh, as far as the difference in, in Eastern and Western religions um, and ideas and philosophy as well. But we talk about Japheth leading that European and Indian influence. Sure. Is that, is that contextually connected to Christ's travels to India? Is there any connection there and, and reason as to why he spent time in India? We don't see anywhere in Scripture where he went to India. So No, but it's suggested that he did travel to India. Yeah, I... I I can't comment on if the scripture doesn't if it doesn't say that that's we know that uh, some like this, his disciple Thomas went to India in fact, that's a known fact, um, but whether he went elsewhere he had no reason to go to India he was sent his statement was he he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel his first goal was in reaching the Israelites in fact when he uh, is traveling and. Uh, even though he shared his good news with those who were not Jewish, his first goal was to share with the Jewish people. So would there be no reason for him to go anywhere else? That wasn't his goal. It wasn't until you have the the, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, whose job was to reach the Gentiles. Um, and uh, so I can't comment on supposed visits of him to India. I mean, you know, I can comment. I can't can't comment on that. But I do know that. Uh, God's desire was to reach all the people, and um, contextually, as far as Japheth is concerned, he fulfills Noah's uh, prediction. Uh, as far as in chapter ten or chapter nine, he says, "May God enlarge uh, Japheth." And historically speaking, Japheth of the three has 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 uh, taken over or has inhabited most more of the world than the other uh, two, as uh, as well. So. Um, you know, so but as far as as far as Jesus's you know trip to India, I, <laughs> I didn't see that verse, so I can't. We, we haven't got any uh, airline tickets to confirm, <laughs> no, yeah. but we are. Uh, so we've defined those four verses very well, I sure. think. And you you now reach five. You know, I love this word that they use in here: coastlands um, of the nations. And uh, and according to his language, could we expand upon that? Well, it, they they think that this these refer to the coastlands of the Mediterranean, perhaps always from always far to Spain, uh, because in fact, when you look at 
verse 4, it says Tarshish. They, they think, now, it's, you know, some of these places are, aren't, you know, they're not clear. They think this could perhaps be uh, Spain. Uh, in fact, it may, one, one thing that makes sense is Tarshish was the place that Jonah wanted to flee to. Jonah was sent to Nineveh, which is several hundred miles inland, and he wanted to go the complete opposite way as far as he can, which would be Tarshish, which would be uh, in Spain. And so um, so the, the coastlands perhaps would be, uh, you know, Spain to Italy all the way down to, uh, to Greece and, and Israel eventually. But uh, so that's uh, – and so that's what it's describing uh, there in verse 5. Moving on to s- six, then, because we we know at this stage that there are multiple languages, right? Now, is this d- emphasized for a reason? Because before the flood, there was only one language, right? Well, it, what's interesting we're seeing is if you remember, and again, when he gets off, when they get off the flood, God tells them to be fruitful, be, multiply, and fill the earth. And part of when you get to chapter 11, they weren't filling the earth. They were staying in one place altogether, and uh, contrary to God's command and, and desire. And so part of God uh, helping them along and getting out was to just confuse the language as, as well. And so that, that really is setting up the premise in reverse order, in, a, in, a, in narrative form. You would think that you would talk about this language issue, as you say, in chapter 11, right. but it's being brought up ahead of time. Right, because the questions are, I mean, the questions are, you know, there as far as, as, far as you know, the cause, but, you know, we're, we're seeing, what we're doing is we're kind of giving more, the Israelites were listening to Moses. Remember, this is, Moses is t- teaching the Israelites, perhaps on the Exodus, perhaps on their, as they're getting closer to the Promised Land, and he's beginning to teach them who are the people that you're going to encounter? Uh, he, he's going to show, obviously, we're going to meet the Egyptians. We're going to meet the Canaanites, who are the prime, uh, and the Philistines as well, who are the prime people. But others as well, including the Babylonians and the Assyrians, he's going to introduce the characters, so to speak, of the story and setting it up. And one of the things he's going to do here in chapter 10 is begin to show Israel who the Canaanites were and and show how Canaan was related to Ham and how that all figured with, with Ham's sin and, and and why they're going to have to go into the land and why they're going to have to go in and wipe them out. And we're going to, we're going to, he's giving them sort of their background to show where everything all began. And uh, many, like I said, many of the people that we'll see here are people that they're going to uh, encounter, especially the sons of Ham, uh, as we began with, with in, in verse 6. Um, which would be Cush and Mizraim and put in Canaan. Uh, Cush is another name for Ethiopia, but not exactly the country that we have today. It was more uh, perhaps south of Egypt, in the area of Africa, south of Egypt. Um, that would be Cush. Mizraim, that's the Hebrew word for Egypt. And we know that they encounter the Egyptians uh, greatly. In fact, they're going to spend several hundred years in there in, in, uh, as slaves down there. Um, Put, uh, we believe, is is uh, Libya, and so, and then uh, Canaan, of course, is self-explanatory. That's the area of, um, that they'll, in the Promised Land that they'll they'll eventually go to. Now, is there anything to prioritize in verse seven before we hit uh, verse eight? Uh, verse seven. These uh, perhaps are, many of them. Uh, 
nothing to prioritize, only the comment that they probably uh, landed in areas of Arabia and in the Middle East. But uh, verse 8 is more pertinent uh, to our to our to our look here because it actually pauses to tell us a few things about Nimrod, which tells you something. Nimrod was a was a, an important character or influential person. Nimrod is going to sort of picture or characterize the way of man at that time and the attitude of man. In fact, Nimrod's going to be the one we believe who's going to be in charge of of. He's going to be the leader when they when they build the Tower of Babel. So we're going to see sort of his uh, his ideas and his philosophies and and his actions as well here in, in uh, chapter ten. So Nimrod was not necessarily a giant, um, or, or, or 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 a larger uh, larger in life than human beings. He was he was simply a strong defiant leader he was a very powerful leader perhaps i mean he was he was perhaps the um at, at the world leader at the time you could say because uh, f- based on on uh, what you have in chapter 10 and 11 perhaps he's that um his name means rebel and so what is he re- rebelling against well the only thing we can see that he's rebelling would be re- rebelling against would be god's ways and he's going to lead people in rebelling against God. He is called a mighty one on the earth. And this reminds us of chapter 6 where the mighty ones came down and did, you know, took wives where they wanted. It's, it's, it's almost like we're taken back to before the flood and the same kind of attitudes and actions. And he is, it says he's a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that can also be suggested or translated that he is a mighty hunter against the Lord. And it wasn't necessarily that he was a hunter of of animals necessarily, but perhaps a hunter of people. In other words, he was a conqueror. You know, so perhaps he's a dictator. Perhaps he's a he's a strong leader uh, who is rebelling against the Lord. And uh, and it says, he, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and uh, and other areas in the area of Shinar. Shinar would be Bab- the area of Babylon. He starts the city of Babel. He is the one who starts that city. Later on, the Babylonians, of course, will live there. And he also goes forth into Nineveh. Nineveh will be the capital of the Assyrians. These are two, two of the most uh, significant peoples that the Israelites will face later on in their history are the Assyrians and the Babylonians. He starts this all. So it tells you something about, his, about who he is, his power, uh, and uh, his significance will be seen even more in chapter 11. So my, uh, my goodness, as much as God has now created this incredible flood and destroyed all the people on the earth except for Noah and his descendants yet again we see this this influence come back in Nimrod that is going to build this high tower to reach the heavens so Nimrod himself believes and wants to be God maybe not so he wants to be God but uh, God of his own life and his his message will be to the people: you can be God of your own life, and and uh, the attitude of of living in defiance of God and living independently of of Him. And of course, God is going to put it into that very fast, very quickly uh, at the Tower of Babel. But that's the attitude that He has. It's the attitude people have today as well. It's the attitude of of many world leaders today who want uh, who um, who 
want the power to uh, to do what they can and and to conquer and and whatnot. So he is a picture, like I said, of of uh, perhaps humanity at that time. Anything significant in verse eleven? Uh, other than the fact that he goes into Assyria and builds Nineveh. Now, there's some question as far as, you know, okay, the Ninevites were actually sons of Shem, so how can he, he's a son of Ham? It could be that either Nineveh was already founded and he took it over, or vice versa, where he took it over and, and later on the descendants of Shem uh, began to rule. Either way, uh, it's uh, it's a significant that he's going to start these cities and the in and, and the area of Mesopotamia modern Iraq today and from there uh, everything s- begins and stems off as far as um, Jewish history as far as as far as uh, the history of man and religious history and and uh, is going to uh, be influenced there by him and he begins uh, again a more humanistic way of looking at life and and uh, uh, but other than that in verse 11 just the name Nineveh in Assyria is significant to the Israelites who would you know, would would face them later on in history. Now we see in verse 12 uh, the word resin uh, that is the great city so this is where Babel was created is that correct? Babel and Nineveh are are, uh, uh, they're near each other I think it's about a hundred miles or maybe I could be off by uh, some miles but they're in the same general facility vicinity one's in in, uh, northern uh, Mesopotamia one's more in southern part of Mesopotamia but the same general area uh, is what you have there. How would you like to proceed from here <laughs> into 13? Verse 13, we have the Mizraim, and he is the Egypt, He is the, the father of the Egyptians. And uh, later on it mentions in verse 14 uh, somebody that gives rise to the Philistines. Now what we think is that the Philistines maybe perhaps start off as descendants of Mizraim, the father of the Egyptians, and they think that they, they either moved to Canaan or moved to Crete. And because later on, there's people called the Sea Peoples, which, they, which become the Philistines. They will move back to, they'll move to Canaan and live in present day. The Gaza Strip is where the Philistines lived. And so they, of course, will play a significant role in Israel's history as well. I think it's really interesting. We're meeting these people and these characters ahead of time and how we know ahead of the time what their influence is going to be because... Uh, we know the end of the story, but um, I think it's I think it's interesting how how God is introducing them and how Moses is introducing them, and how they will all play a, a role all, all around Israel, even today. Um, they they play a role in their history. So Mizraim is essentially a um, <clears throat> that's providing or introducing the period of the Pharaoh. Around Moses' time, sure, sure, a, 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 an, an, as, an ancestor uh, of the Pharaoh, right, right, and and possibly the first ancestor, perhaps, yeah. And so we we are obviously this is way before Moses and the, and those pharaohs, but uh, but we're seeing um, we're beginning to see where this all will they all come you know come into play, and uh, eventually we'll see their influence in Israel later on. Uh, and then we get to verse fifteen, and we talk about Canaan, who was one of the sons of Ham. But obviously there's emphasis on Canaan because they're going to Canaan to conquer them. And, and so we have to talk a little about the Canaanites. Um, we have, uh, uh, for example, you have Sidon. He, uh, Sidon is in uh, modern-day, well, it's Phoenicia at that time, modern-day Lebanon. 
and Tyre, which was a, a sister city, Tyre and Sidon will have significance in Israel's history. You have Heth, who gives birth to perhaps the Hittites, and they believe that the descendants of Heth, perhaps some of them moved eastward and helped f- to found uh, the Chinese people. That's uh, something interesting there. Verse 16, you have the Jebusite. Uh, there's a city called uh, Jebus, which they could not take over for the longest time, and that city is called Jerusalem today. Uh, the Jebusites will be finally conquered uh, by David, and they will be there. The Amorite uh, is uh, a people that were there in Canaan, and many times the Amorites were, were uh, spoken of in, you, when you, you call somebody an Amorite or a Canaanite, it was the same thing. Um, we'll skip it now to the rest of these ites because they're not as, as significant. Uh, I, do, I do think the verse 18 is significant. Of course, uh, it is. And, you know, and afterward, the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. You know, that's uh, it, it, when you look at the narrative uh, creation there uh, of the use of words. You know, spread abroad. I mean, it could be easily say that they travelled abroad or they departed for sure. for foreign lands. Uh, this word "spread." Why was that used? You know, I, I'm not sure. It, it could be just the fact that they, they dispersed in the general facility of, of Israel, Palestine, that whole area. Because uh, if you remember, some of these Canaanites occupied the other side of the uh, the Jordan River, which would be the, the eastern side. They, so they would incorporate both sides, and perhaps they are spreading in that, in that general area. Um, but why they chose that exact uh, words, I'm not sure. Uh, the, we look at all these new places, these new locations geographically, and we have left behind the great rivers uh, that were cited in in the early Genesis creation chapters. But uh, significantly, though, th- they are still all in that area. Well, actually, to be honest, uh, the Bab- uh, Babylon and Nineveh are located right there in Mesopotamia, which means between two rivers, between the Tigris and Euphrates. Yes. So we're still in the same area. Yes. So it's significant that we begin there in Genesis and in the Garden of Eden. They get it cast away from there. They come back now, soon to be dispersed from as well and to spread through the rest of the world. We're still in the same area. So uh, even though uh, the rivers aren't mentioned here, we know that this is ex- the same area, the land of Shinar, which is where they're, they're located. So they're still, uh, they're still east of Eden. They're still in the place of uh, sort of expulsion uh, between the two rivers. Verse 19, John. Yes, uh, and the territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon. That's, of course, uh, modern-day Lebanon. As far as you go towards Gerar and as far as Gaza, which is the southern part uh, of Israel, and towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which we believe was in the southern part of the Dead Sea. Um, and so he's basically giving the layout of the Canaanite land, which uh, which Israel will uh, conquer or seek to conquer later on in Joshua. Um, and then we finally get to, in verse 21, you get the Shem. Now, he's going to break up Shem into two, two parts. Part one is the line that is not going to be, well, it's not going to lead to Abraham. So, <laughs> But there's something significant about, about uh, the children of Shem. When you have Eber, 
Now we think we get the we, some speculate or some scholars believe that the Eber is where you get the the word Hebrew from. Um, another perhaps was there's a uh, a word in Hebrew called Eber, which means to, if I remember correctly, to cross over or to uh, I think it's to cross over. The Hebrews were ones who were from the other side, perhaps the other side of the of the of the Tigris and Euphrates. But Eber is the father of the Hebrews. Uh, you skip on down to um, verse 23 and 22. You have Aram, which will be Syria. You have Uz, Uz. And guess who lived in Uz? Job. Job lived in the line of Uz. So we find out where he's from. That's perhaps they think that's somewhere in, maybe in, um, in perhaps near Arabia. Uh, and then you get down to the sons that were born to Eber in verse 25. One was Peleg and was Joktan. We're going to see about Joktan, but Peleg, his name is interesting. His name means to, to divide, and perhaps you're thinking and it was in his days that the earth was divided. Now the question is, does that mean the literal earth was divided, like the continents began to drift away? Or does it mean that there was during his time that the, that the Tower of Babel took place and the people were divided? And it's, and it's likely to be the latter. Right, right, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so that is, and so uh, evidently when Eber had Peleg and that the, the Tower of Babel just happened, uh, it was so significant that he named his son Peleg to signify that event perhaps. Just going back to 21, where, we, where you talked about Eber. And then it's comma, and the older brother of Japheth. Meaning of that, John? Well, he says, and also to Shem, the father, Eber, and the older. So it's commenting that perhaps Shem was Japheth's older brother. Um, my understanding is uh, it could also be translated uh, that uh, it could also read that he was the brother of Japheth the elder. So we're not sure if it's referring to Shem being the older brother or Japheth being the elder, because it's translated both ways. So it could be saying Shem, the older brother of Japheth, or Shem, the brother of the elder Japheth. So we're not sure. It's one or the other. Now, we travel from that area through to 29, because I, I think that in our last minutes we may want to... Uh, concentrate on 30 to 32 and this is just really citing uh, names here sure um is there any obviously and and i always pronounce this wrong this <laughs> this wrong joktan is it joktan jotan i i would say just joktan i or no he's he's clearly clearly here prioritized in these sentences. Well, what he is, he is sort of the non-elect line, so to speak. He's the brother that's not chosen by God. So he ends up uh, perhaps in, in Babylon. Perhaps he represents that, that uh, uh, you know, in, in throughout Scripture you have, you often had older brother, younger brother, older brother, younger brother. One of them is chosen, one of them is not. For God's purposes, you know, chosen meaning the person or the vessel through which he's going to speak. So you have um, the sons of Jesse. Well, they're all good, but the youngest one's chosen. You have the sons, of course, of, of Abraham. One of them is chosen, one of them is not. So this is kind of introducing that that sort of aspect. We had this back in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And so, uh, unfortunately, J- Jockton was, you know, he, he doesn't 
lead to a- us to Abraham. And so we find out a little bit about him, not a whole lot, uh, but his the you know it's just there for uh, to show uh, what happens to Shem. But uh, when we find uh, the other son, which is Peleg, we'll find out obviously uh, his descendants lead to Abram, and that's the point of uh, of why he's remember he's introducing us the non-elects first in order to save the best for last, so to speak, you know, and that's what he's leading us up to to that point in chapter twelve. So we're final three verses here. Um, I, I think that the reading these, uh, their settlement extended is important to, to look at, as well as the hill country of the east, specifically that terminology, hill country of the east, John. I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, if, if this is perhaps uh, hill country uh, in Canaan or perhaps east of that. I think it's referring if 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 you go east if I, I believe it could be uh as far as uh is uh is Shinar but I'm not sure actually. Well, I guess I'm pointing it out because is it suggesting the hill country of the east because it's of value in in arable terms. Sure, sure. And and this is to give them uh an idea of where there's where there's where they settled uh to to give uh the the Israelites an idea of exactly where they settled. So um, it, it could be that uh, they are uh, with that they settle uh, east of of Shinar or east in Shinar, but but I'm not sure because Shinar is a, is more of a plain, so it could be uh, referring to uh, Israel itself. I'm not sure actually on that verse. I'll have to look that one up. So we 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 get to the end here, and 31. These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. And then finally, these are the families of the sons of Noah. So Noah comes back again, Mm -hmm. possibly one of the last occasions, according to their genealogies by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So this is a really important statement, isn't it, at the end? Well, what you have here is is you actually have, it's in one way, it's a repetition of verse 1 as far as it's sort of, it's the other side of the bookend. It's the other, it sort of completes it all, and it tells us, you know, God's blessing of Noah. Well, look how tremendous it was, because He gave rise to all these people, and His His sons uh, gave rise to all these people. And so, uh, there's uh, a statement there of of God's fulfillment of His blessing of the people, even of Ham and Canaan, who are given, who are tremendously blessed with descendants. So, uh, they uh, that speaks of God's faithfulness there. But uh, but then it sets up for chapter eleven. Which uh, we'll, we'll we'll find out the rest of the, of the story of Shem, and lead us into the story of Abraham, of course. And contrast, uh, really, in chapter eleven, contrast uh, the man making a name for himself and making uh, himself great versus God making somebody you know uh, great and God exalting himself uh, in Abram. That's going to be the great contrast, and we'll see what one one leads to destruction, and one leads to confusion, and one leads to a blessing. So that will be in chapter 11. Are there any other areas after this where Noah is referred to? Well, Noah is referred to, obviously, in the New Testament. He's referred to by Jesus, who gives um, um, credence to, to Noah himself. Uh, in, in, in the prophets, he is mentioned as far as, um, by way of illustration, as far as uh, his, his righteousness and his, um, uh, his excellent life. Um, 
but beyond in in Genesis, I don't believe he's mentioned anymore in Genesis, but he is mentioned in a couple of the prophets and in the New Testament as well by Jesus, and also uh, Peter mentions him, and so uh, re- referring to the flood in the, in the historical uh, act and the accuracy is that, but as far as himself in Genesis, no, he's not. He, we move on from Noah to the next uh, major character in the story. Well, I believe that completes chapter 10, and uh, we'll be going next week into chapter 11, which we already realize uh, contextually is rather reversed, and we're going to see um, what occurs with Babylon, and uh, we'll be returning then. John Cole, thank you very much for uh, being here today yet again. Thank you. And to our listeners, hope you enjoyed this program. You can get information on this, as usual, at uh, davidgibbons.org and any other program in the series, wherever you may be today and in this beautiful world. God bless you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Tune into Inner Speak Soul Adventures Talk Radio Show every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, and learn how to let go of your past and create the reality you desire and deserve, allowing your inner communication to take place more easily without the interference of our noisy mind chatter or your ego. Inner Speak Soul Adventures with Gene Adrian, right here on the Seventh Wave Network. As a new era approaches December 2012, Evolution invites you to expand awareness now to become the magnificent creator you forgot you are. Explore beyond current sensory perceptions with host Doreen Agostino to align body, mind, spirit, and unleash inner wealth. Discover and apply universal success principles to consciously and deliberately create your life. To align with inner truth, shine light of new thought, and joyfully prosper. Tune in Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Annie Arman. 
Live. Teens, you have got to tune into this show and listen to your fellow teens. If you're out there confused because somebody is trying to put doubts in you, making you think that you can't do what you want to do, get it straight. You can, you will, and you will get it done no matter what. And don't ever give up because you're not alone. Don't miss Annie Armin live on Voice America Wednesdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcast each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. Listen for the American Advisor with Joe Battaglia twice every week. This is a live call-in talk show where Joe discusses the economic and political events that affect your investments. 
Joe's macro market calls have helped thousands of investors pave their way to a more secure financial future. As a bonus, everyone who calls into the program will receive a 1964 Silver Kennedy half-dollar coin that's been graded uncirculated. The American Advisor is heard every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 